0: Are you ready for the best real estate investing advice ever? Join Joe Fairless and today's successful real estate professional as they share it with you. Let's go.
1: A quick word from our sponsor, 24 Sound. 24 Sound is technically an audio production company, but they're way more than that. They're there to help you grow your business from audiobooks to podcasts and everything in between. They're flawless as sound engineers and their strategic as business partners. Visit them at 24sound.com. You can also email them at hello at 24sound.com. And of course, as a Best Ever Listener, you'll get a Best Ever Discount, mention Best Ever, and you'll get a 20% discount on your first product. Hello, Best Ever Listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless, and I'm here with today's guest, Brandon Turner hi Brandon hey Joe how are you doing hey I'm doing well and excited to have you on the show we have uh, met in New York about I don't know when that was like a year ago or something we'll go with that yeah a while. been on bigger pockets uh, for I've been on bigger pockets for a while and absolutely love the content there so, uh, I'm excited to have you on the show. If, if you're not familiar with Brandon, just a little bit about him before he gets into his background in more detail. He is an active investor focusing primarily on rental properties and flips in Western Washington state. He started investing at the ripe age of 21 years old when he bought his first house. He is the co host of the world famous Bigger Pockets podcast alongside with Joshua Dorkin. So highly recommend checking out the podcast. One of my favorite podcasts in general and is actually my favorite real estate investing podcast out there. And he is actively involved in writing in-depth articles on bigger pockets. One of my favorites, Brandon, is the how to hack your housing and get paid to live for free. I just nice. I think that's such a smart approach for investors, I mean, if you have the opportunity um, to buy a property, why not buy a property that has multi-units, live in one side, rent out the other, and not only live rent-free, but get paid. It makes so much sense. (laughs) It does. It makes so much sense. And I'll probably talk about that later because that's how I got started. Sweet. Well, uh, can you tell the Best Ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. No problem. Uh,
0: so my background. So I started, um, I did a, a live in flip, I guess you could say back when I was 21, I bought a house, fixed it up and then sold it and didn't really know what I was doing at all. I just made a little bit of money. I mean, everybody was making money in real estate back in, you know, 06, 07. And uh, this was before the crash. And so I decided that real estate was pretty cool. I should probably jump into it. So uh, uh, then I, I bought a duplex uh, next. And that's what I was just talking about, house hacking, right? So I bought a duplex. I lived in half of it. Uh, my mortgage payment was 600 Eleven dollars a month, or six twenty a month, and I rented the other side out for six fifty. And I realized that day that you know, wow, this this income, this passive income rental thing is pretty cool. Uh, so I just started kind of collecting units, doing a little bit of flipping, a little bit of uh, landlording in the process, and just kind of kept building up my buy and hold portfolio. And that brings us to today.
1: So whenever you look at a property. Uh, to purchase? To are are you still? Obviously, you're actively investing. What type of properties are you looking at right now? Is it the same type of model, or if you evolved since then, or do you just you know, like what you've been doing, so you're sticking with what works?
0: Well, I'm definitely not living in the properties anymore. I mean, I, I finally bought myself a house. I want to stay in for a little while, anyway. Uh, but I still do. I really like the small multifamily properties. I just I love the two, three, four unit properties. I have a five unit now. I just love those small multifamily properties. In my area, at least, they work out really well. Um, I just, I really enjoy them. They cash flow well in my area. And again, every area is different. So, you know, all the, um, you know, people listening, all the best ever listeners, you guys like it might not work in your area, uh, small multis, but in mine they do. So you definitely got to kind of match your, uh, what you're interested in, you know, what you're going to invest in with what will work in your area. But so yeah, multifamilies are my favorite. I'd love to get into larger multis. I have a 24 unit that I love. I would love to buy, you know, more, do a lot more what you're doing. I uh, definitely want to get into that kind of, uh, the larger apartment, the syndication, that kind of stuff.
1: When you're evaluating the small multifamilies, what are the key things you look at to quickly evaluate if it's a good use of your time to pursue further? Sure. Uh, the first thing I always do when I'm looking at it, uh, the first kind of
0: filter, if you will, is uh, the location. I mean, I don't want to buy something, no matter how good a deal it is, in a location that I don't feel comfortable going in, or I don't feel comfortable having my wife go to. You know, my wife actually manages most of our properties, so if she had to go and post a notice or something, I don't. I want her to feel comfortable doing that. Uh, so that's the first thing I look at is location. So I kind of screen out that. Second thing I look at is the what we call the fifty percent rule. Uh, and this is just a rule of thumb, I and mean, this is really just a rule of thumb, But uh, so don't buy a property based on it. But it's good for a quick screening, like you said, to decide. And, and what the 50% rule basically says is that half of whatever comes in in income is going to go out in expenses, and that doesn't include the mortgage. So it's a really quick way to estimate like how much money I expect out of a small multifamily to actually produce. So uh, if I have a property, there's four units in it. Each one rents for $500 a month. We got 500 times four is $2,000 a month in income. I'll take that and just chop it in half, 50% rule. I got 1000 bucks left. Now if I just subtract out my mortgage payment, I can kind of see a, a little bit of what I expect that property will cash flow at. And if it if it sounds good, if it's, you know, typically I like to say at least $100 a month per unit, preferably more, then I'll pursue it and actually dig in deeper and do the math a little bit more uh,
1: intense. And when you do the 50% rule, it sounds like how you described it. You uh, include within the 50% vacancies because you're taking yep. the total uh, potential gross rent and then um, then you're using that as income and you're slashing that in half, right? Correct. Yeah. So the, that 50% would include the
0: vacancy, the repairs, the, the CapEx, um, I guess the, uh, I don't know, taxes, insurance, all reserves, that stuff. Every, all that good yeah. Stuff. Reserves, all that good stuff. It kind of includes all that. Now, what I found is that, you know, the 50% rule, again, it works well for some properties. Sometimes though you got to go 60% in some areas. Sometimes you got to go 40, uh, sometimes even less or more than that. It really depends. And that's why I say, don't make a decision based on this. It's just a good quick screening uh, tool that I like to use.
1: And you led me to the follow up question on it. How have you seen when you run the numbers using the 50% rule? And it's crazy that you mentioned 40%. I. I didn't know properties were performing at 40% expenses, um, except unless they're class A. Um, I, maybe I'm buying the wrong ones. Uh, no, but, it's, but, it's unlikely. It's yeah, unlikely. How, how have you uh, reconciled that whenever you're looking at how it actually performs versus the initial back of the napkin 50%?
0: Sure. So um, I did this the other day with my apartment complex. I actually sat down and looked at the the total thing. And last year, I think I was at 55% or something like that. So definitely over the 50% rule, uh, a little bit more than that. Uh, and I don't have property management on that property. I manage myself. So it would have been more like 62, 63 had I uh, included property management in there. Uh, so that one is much higher. Um, but the where the like the forty percent might come into hand, handy is like I have a triplex. Each unit, they're like three separate houses on one lot. The tenants pay their own water, their own sewer, their own garbage. The they a super super stable. I don't have any problems renting them. Uh, and so that property actually performs probably lower than forty percent because my expenses are really, I mean. Taxes and insurance, and you know, I set aside money for vacancy and repairs, but it's been you know pretty light the last few years. So again, that that's just kind of one of those unique properties that has very few expenses. I could use more of those. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say that's a rinse and repeat (laughs) type of model right there. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, I would love to have you know a hundred of those things any day.
1: And at that point, you would have to factor in a property management company cost.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, very much so. And that, that's an important thing. I mean, uh, so this is a, a thing I say oftentimes is, is I think it's important to to budget for property management, no matter what, whether or not you're going to actually use one, I don't care if you want to use one or not. Everyone's different, but if you budget for it, then it's really easy to someday when you're successful and you've got too many to handle, you can just hand them over. But if you're, you know, managing yourself and you don't
1: factor that in there, you're going to be kind of screwed when that day comes. Based on your experience in the multifamily world, speaking to all sorts of successful investors on the Bigger Pockets podcast and. Having thought leadership on Bigger Pockets, the number one real estate investing blog out there. Period. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? No pressure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I'll, I'll actually like bring back what you mentioned earlier. And my best advice, at least in my kind of expertise of what I'm good at and what I like doing, is that concept of house hacking. It's the idea of you're just getting started. Think very seriously about this. And here's why I say that it's because people when you're just getting started um you have first of all you have to live somewhere everybody has to live somewhere uh, and a house uh, you know if, if people have read rich dad poor dad you'll know like a house is not always a, an asset it's usually a liability it costs you a lot of money uh, it's usually the biggest single expense anybody has in life so if you can combine that with the idea of uh, an investment property and get two, you know, two deals out of one. And that doesn't mean for sure you have to buy a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex. You could buy a single family house, but buy it with the assumption that you're going to improve it somehow. Uh, you're going to, you know, force the appreciation on it or whatever to make some money when you sell it and then, you know, move on to the next property. So I like to think of that, like whether you buy a single family or a multi, consider it as an investment as well. So my best ever advice would be to consider house hacking as your first investment or your first few
1: what do you have to do to prepare to, as you call house hacking, which basically just, I, just so, you know, we're clear, it's living in one side, renting out the other units. And the reason why that's so darn beneficial is because you get very favorable financing rates because it's a primary occupancy yep. um, versus an investment property where you typically have to put more money down and your interest rate could even be higher. Um, so, What are some things that a best ever listener needs to do to prepare him or herself to buy that first property and live in one side, rent out the other?
0: Sure. So the, I mean, obviously going to get a loan on this, like you said, it's, it's a residential loan. It's an owner occupied loan, which means it's a lot easier to get perhaps. Uh, however, you still have to follow the rules. I mean, you, the first step I would say is go talk to a mortgage broker and find or a bank or whatever and find out what it's going to take for you to qualify. I mean, if they say you have to have a 625 credit score, you know, then figure out your credit score and figure out what you got to do to get the 625. If they say you need to have you know, you need to make three thousand dollars a month in income, and you're at twenty two hundred. We'll figure out how you can make an extra eight hundred dollars a month. A new job, uh, second job, side job, whatever you got to do. You know, kind of get that roadmap. Talk to a mortgage person and get that mapped out. Uh, and then, secondly, house hacking is no good if you don't buy a good enough deal. I mean, what benefit is there to owning a duplex when you know your your payment? is just as high as if you were to go live on your own in a house. I mean, other than the headache of being a landlord, if you don't get any financial gain out of it, then there's just not a whole lot of use for it. So you need to understand how to do the math. Uh, you understand how to analyze that deal and make sure that you actually probably will get uh, a good return on your time and, and, and money.
1: How long do you typically have to live in the property? I imagine it's different based on the lender, but how long do you have to typically live in the property in order to get the loan and then you can move out and then rinse and repeat, do the same thing over again?
0: Yeah. So typically if it's going to be like an FHA loan, which is the most common, it's only three and a half percent down. So on a hundred thousand dollar property, you're out 3,500 bucks. Uh, so typically you got to stay for a year. I think that's what the FHA requires. And I'm not a mortgage person and those rules can change, but uh, I, my understanding is you got to stay for one year. And then the great thing is you don't have to refinance. I mean, you don't, you can leave a property, you have a loan on it, you can leave and then put a renter in it. And, uh, you know, it, you don't have to go get a new loan now as an investment loan. You can keep that loan. Now, the the downside is you can only ever have one FHA loan at a time. And so if you do decide to do the FHA with 3.5% down, great. But just know that you probably can only do it one time and then you got to either sell it or refinance before you can do it again.
1: Are you ready for the best ever lightning round?
0: I am ready and pumped. All right, let's do it. Best ever book. All right, best ever book. I'm going to go with the unofficial guide to Real Estate Investing by a guy named Spencer Strauss. Uh, I read that early on in my career, loved that book, really helped kind of form my vision of what I wanna do for my future. So yeah, unofficial guide to real estate investing.
1: And best ever listeners, I know you like audio and if you would like that audio version of the book for free, just go to freebesteverbook.com and you'll be able to pick up a free copy audio version of that book. All right, Brandon best ever personal growth experience and what you learned from it i'm gonna tell the story because i I learn well from failure and so i'm gonna tell
0: a personal growth story that i learned from failure i bought a house it was a uh, a duplex and i love duplexes and it was in an amazing neighborhood and i love amazing neighborhoods and it was extremely cheap and i love extremely cheap and it didn't need a whole lot of work and i love properties don't need a lot of work it was all in all a perfect property for me to buy um I went in and I said, you know, I've been watching some flipping shows lately and I was really excited watching some HGTV too. And I decided, forget the idea of a rental property. I want to make some cash. I'm going to turn this into a single family house. And this property was up on this hill that overlooked the bay and the ocean. It was going to be, I was going to just completely turn this into a gigantic single family house. So we're looking at 3,500 square feet that I went and completely rehabbed by myself with my wife and a couple friends. We spent 12 months solid fixing this place up. Good relationship uh, builder. <laughs> yes, very good relationship builder. Uh, found some good, you know, contractors out of it, found some bad ones out of it, you know, like friends that were good or bad at handyman <laughs> stuff. But uh, I, yeah, what I learned at the end was, so here's the numbers just quickly. I bought it for 40,000. I put about 50,000 into it. Uh, so we're in about 90,000 total. Had I kept it as a rental, I would have bought it for forty and put about ten into it. It really didn't need much to be just a rental duplex, but you know, I wanted to make it fancy, so I had I dropped about ninety thousand into it. Used a hard money loan that was really high interest and, and high, you know short term. Ended up carrying it for took twelve months to finish the property, and then it took twelve months to sell the property. We started the listing at one seventy five, dropped so I was going to make you know eighty whatever thousand dollars dropped it to 170 then 160 then 150 then 140 then 130 finally got an offer at 125 and sold it after two solid years of holding this property at 12% interest so in the end after holding costs and after all that I made nothing on this property uh, so that is my uh, you know personal growth I learned more about real estate and you know it's it's sad and I like to think that was a terrible property but I learned more about real estate investing what to do, what not to do in that one experience. Uh, and I didn't lose any money. I just l- lost a couple of years of my life. And uh, I think that's a, a good trade-off. So anyway, that, that is my best ever personal growth experience. What specifically did you learn from that, that you would apply to your next deal? Sure, uh, do the math. If I would have sat down and just penciled out the difference, um. So number one is do the math. If I would have just realized how good of an investment property that would have been. I mean, that thing I would have had, you know, 50, maybe 60. Let's even push it. Let's say 70,000 into this thing. If it was a duplex, let's say I really made it nice. I would have rented that out for the top floor, 800, the bottom floor, 900, probably, you know, $1,700 a month. And I would have had a really nice $70,000 property. You know, that that thing is. That thing would have cash flowed like crazy. So number one is do that. Number two is know your comps. Uh, clearly, when I thought it would sell for $170 uh, and it sold for 125 there was some differences in opinion on what it would be worth. Uh, and some of that, I mean, most of that was a matter of nobody in my area was flipping houses to that degree. That was that big or that nice. I mean, we put everything in it. Brand new hardwood floors, granite countertops, travertine tile, and there was simply it was simply way better than anything else in my market, and as such, you know, it's not going to sell for more than what everyone else is selling their houses for.
1: Best ever success habit you practice?
0: Uh, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm pretty good at having the mindset of not thinking I can't do this, but thinking how can I do this? And that was something else I, I learned from. You know, I heard from Rich Dad Poor Dad the book back in the day that said, "Don't say." I can't afford it. Ask, how can I afford it? I love that shift in thinking. Yes, Yeah, I love that. Because when you, when, you, when you say I can't afford anything, no matter what it is, a vacation, a rental property, a new car, whatever you would say, it shuts your brain down. Yes. But if you ask the question, how do I afford it? That is what makes you uh, begin thinking creatively and be able to actually do it. And so anytime somebody tells me they can't do something or can't afford it or the word
1: can't, it just
0: it bothers me because yeah.
1: Oh. I agree. It's, yeah. it's something that Tony Robbins talks about a lot, too, asking yeah. quality questions. Yep. You know, if if you're overweight and you say, why can't I lose weight? It's like, well, because you're a pig. But if you say, <laughs> how can I lose weight? How can I get the energy that I need? How can I, you know, have the the the, uh, you know, eat healthy? Uh, how are other people eating healthy? If you ask a better quality question, your mind's going to search for better quality answers.
0: There you go. I love that. Yep
1: best ever deal you've done?
0: Best ever deal was my apartment complex that I that I bought. Uh, and the reason why it's not necessarily the best, like in terms of return on investment, but it's the best in terms of figuring out how to invest creatively. And so uh, real quickly, I'll tell that story. So I got this property. Uh, okay. First of all, I read a book by Ken McElroy called The ABCs of Real Estate Investing. I loved that book. Uh, changed my life. I was like, I'm going to be an apartment buyer. I'm going to buy an apartment complex and fix it up uh, and kind of do value-add apartment investing. And so that was on a Saturday. On Sunday morning, I'm at church and I'm talking to this old couple and I'm super passionate about it. And I tell them, I just read this great new book and it's all about apartment complexes and I want to buy one. And they look at me kind of funny and said, well, that's interesting because we have an apartment complex we want to sell. I was like, oh, oh that's, nice! Like, how cool is that? Right. Like just it just worked out so well. So we started talking, took us a year to put the deal together because I'm like 25. I didn't have any money at all. Uh, I mean, I, I was I mean, I had done a few flips and had some rental properties, but nothing to that degree. And again, I had no money at all. So th- the deal we worked out was we did a uh, triple net lease option, which means I basically rented the entire property for him from them. Uh, and paid all the bills for the first six months. During that time, I saved up money and they gave me a really good deal and a really low payment. I saved up the money from the cash flow to cover the down payment they needed, which was just 15 grand to cover closing costs. Then I needed some money to fix the place up. So we transferred from the, the lease triple net lease option I exercised the option and I actually purchased it with seller financing. So they actually carried the contract with that $15,000 down payment that I raised up. Now, I didn't have the money to fix the property up. I needed about sixty grand. So I called up my parents and I said, hey, would you guys like to be partners with me? Would you guys like to partner on this deal? I don't need anything except for I need 60000 They said, well, we don't have 60000 I said, you have a home equity line of credit. I said, oh, OK, you're right, we do. So I, so b- roughly, to put that deal together, I did a lease option, seller financing, partnership, and used a home equity line of credit all combined to make this thing uh, a no money down deal on a you know, half a million dollar apartment complex. And so uh, today, that is my biggest property. It's the property I have the most equity in. And uh, it's probably the coolest deal I put together because of all those different creative strategies thrown together to make some magic.
1: How did you come up with the ideas and the deal structure to make a Frankenstein deal like that with all sorts of different creative structures? I mean, that's that's pretty incredible to um, implement all of those in one deal. So how did you learn about them and how did you know what pieces to put where?
0: Sure. So, the first thing, I mean, I, I got all these tools. I mean, I like to consider these all tools in a toolbox, right? The more tools you have in your toolbox, the bigger projects you can take on. And so, first thing, I educated myself like crazy when I got started. So, I knew what a lease option was. I'd read a book on that. I knew what seller financing was. I read a book on that. I knew what all these things were. So, that at least they were there. And then, kind of putting them together just came out of countless conversations with both the sellers who were trying to sell it. Um, I spent a lot of time on bigger pockets forums asking questions. I mean, people can go back you know, five years and go look at my questions from that time. And I'm asking just people, you know, other investors, hey, how would you put this together? What would you do in this case? Do you think this is a good idea? And so really it just came from, I mean, hours and hours of conversation and laying, at, laying in bed at night, just thinking, oh man, I really want this. How do I make it happen? And that just loops back to that, you know, how do I not, I can't. Majority of the world would say, oh, I don't have a half million dollars. I can't afford that. Um, but I just, just kept asking the question, how can I, how can I? And I asked everybody, how can I, and finally, figured it out that way.
1: Best ever quote.
0: Best ever quote. I'm going to go with uh, this was attributed to Thomas Jefferson, and people have probably said on your show before, but and it's not actually Thomas Jefferson, I found out today. But uh, it says, The harder I work, the luckier I get. Um, and there's a few different variations of that. But the idea of, you know, I have people come up to me all the time, like when I'm telling my story about like the apartment complex that I got, like I just mentioned. Right? And there's probably people, you know, listening to this podcast right now who are saying, Oh, yeah, he got lucky because that, you know, he happened to mention to this couple at church that he wanted to buy an apartment. They had, right. That's lucky, right? Yeah.
1: not not the case, my friend. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's I tell, I mean, I told 50 people about that book. I mean, I've probably told 10,000 people about that book now. Um, I tell everybody because I'm passionate about this. So yes, there is luck involved. Yes, there is, uh, you know, that is involved, but like that quote says, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And you can't always see how they're connected, but they just, they always are
1: completely 100% emphatically agree with that. What's the biggest mistake? And we might've covered this. Um, so yeah. what's the second biggest mistake you've made in real estate?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The first one I know, I was, I was wondering <laughs> like what I was going to say here. Cause I'm like, well, that, that first one was definitely the biggest mistake. Uh, second biggest mistake I've ever made probably. Um,
1: and I want to, I want to hear some losing money on this
0: one. Yeah. Okay. No, uh, no, no. Just breaking even. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever like, actually lost money on a deal necessarily, but here's, here's, a good, here's a good mistake. Everybody asks all the time, and you probably get this all the time too, what LLC should I get? What should I do for an LLC? People just think that's like the first question you have to have answered when you're starting investing, which I don't disagree. It's, it is an important question. Uh, the mistake that I made that caused me a lot of headache and drama was like opening up LLCs just because everyone said you're supposed to. And because that's just what you do. And I read that somewhere, right? So I would open up these LLCs thinking that I was doing something good for myself. And everyone was costing me a lot of money. I mean, you know, $300 here, $400 here. Uh, That, so I I did that. And then uh, at one point, a couple of years ago, I brought it all to my lawyer and said, here, can you just fix this all? Like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing with all this. And he looked at it and just laughed and said, you know, this is going to be expensive. And so I've probably spent well over 10 grand in the past 2 years and I'm still not out of it all, to, all the way. Just trying to like get rid of some of these that I didn't need yes. and organize them. Yeah. And then I got a bill from the IRS for 10 grand last year because (laughs) like I would taken my stuff to a CPA who didn't really know what he was doing. That's another lesson learned is make sure you hire a CPA who knows real estate. And he told me I didn't need to file taxes on a partnership LLC because we made no money. Well, the rule is you have to file taxes on a partnership LLC, whether or not it makes money or not. So then they charge you, I think it's $200 per person in the LLC per month. And (laughs) I had two years of not paying on this LLC. So I got a nice, big, hefty chunk oh, of ten grand God. bill for the IRS. Now I talked my way out of that. I mean, I, I threw myself on the mercy of the IRS, and it, it worked out. But uh, yeah, man, they, they tend to be very that. sympathetic. Yes, they, yeah, they, they—they were <laughs> okay. known for was, that. <laughs> <laughs> I, what I, I actually did is I, I, so my CPA, my current CPA, who's wonderful, a lady named Amanda Hahn, um, good lady, she told me kind of walked me through how to talk to them and what to do about it. And so I actually called them up and I told my story, and, and uh, yeah, it actually worked out okay in the end. Uh, that said, I still spent 10 grand in legal fees on what would have probably been 1,000 dollars of legal fees had I just done it with a lawyer up front instead of trying to piecework it in myself.
1: I, I similar thing happened to me whenever I got, it started in real estate investing. I was like, well, I guess I need an LLC for every single property. Well, the, the thing is that lenders won't let you buy with an LLC yep. because they don't want to have to go out. They won't go after a shell of a corporation. They want to go after you if you default on the mortgage. And I didn't know that at the time. So I now have four LLCs that, uh, one of them is in use. The other ones just are useless. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I have some of those as well. So yeah, I, I need to write an article about that at some
0: point because that's yeah, just it's so true, right? Like people just love to, they always think you have to have an LLC and I'm not saying you shouldn't have one, but I don't think they're as important as maybe people uh, are, or they're not even doing what people think that they're doing and therefore they're just wasting time and money.
1: And there are other ways to limit your liability. Um, yep. One of them being general liability insurance. Um, yep. That I have on all of my properties, on my homes, I have uh, liability insurance up to a million dollars on each property. Yep. So, if someone trips, falls, steps on a nail, whatever, I'm covered up to a million dollars from that. Brandon, what's the best ever place to reach you? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, just on bigger
0: pockets. You know, I'm, I'm writing, I'm on the podcast, and uh, send me a call request. It's probably the best way.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Brandon. This has just been a delightful conversation. And I wholeheartedly love the approach of living in one side, renting out the other, and Getting your rent paid for, getting your mortgage paid for, and oh, by the way, even pocketing a couple hundred bucks. I mean, my gosh, what (laughs) this—it's the best of all worlds combined for real estate investing. And the uh, the on the job training is great too. Like I learned so
0: much that first year of house hacking that you know I was able to then apply later in my business, like how to be a landlord, what I like doing, what I don't like doing. It's definitely like great on the job training just to to live in a rental property that you own.
1: Number one piece of advice for beginning investors, if they live in a market that it makes sense to do that, highly recommend doing that. Yep. Well, best ever listeners. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is if you, I'm actually giving away a book um, that uh, one of our guests uh, we had on, actually her episode released today, Judy, Judy Robinette, How to Be a Power Connector. Um, doing a drawing this month. All you have to do is go to best ever survey.com answer five questions about you. Um, and then I'm going to do a drawing for all the people who entered into, uh, entered their info and I'll be announcing that December 1st. So Brandon, thank you so much for joining the best ever listeners and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you, Joe. This has been fun.